Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we got a lot to get to here. Back to the traditional style, 15 and 60 Eastern Conference. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone. I guess there's no possibility you'll actually listen to this on Valentine's Day because we're recording at 10.46 p.m. Pacific time. But nonetheless, I hope you had a happy Valentine's Day. And the Washington Wizards actually had themselves a happy Valentine's Day. 7 and 17 now, 4 and 5 since the last 15 and 60. 27th in the NBA with a negative 6.7 net rating. They are 23rd on offense and 26th on defense. They project for 21 wins, which is 15th in the conference 1% chance at the playoffs per Raptor but 3% chance uh, per ELO and Danny before we talk about their game today against Boston you had a few things you wanted to discuss in their stats profile here yeah I I was I've been interested the whole year in this disparity that the Wizards have had where you know we've talked a lot about the Knicks on the opposite side of this coin where the Knicks opponents are shooting from places you don't want them to shoot from and they're not making shots for the Wizards their opponent location effective field goal percentage is actually the best in the league. So that means opponents aren't taking shots at the rim at all. They aren't really taking shots from three. Instead, they're taking the league's most mid-rangers. However, the Wizards now are, so they're they're number one in location effective field goal percentage, but then they are 26th in actual effective field goal percentage. So even though opponents are taking them in the quote-unquote right spots, they're making all of them. Yeah, and a big part of that is opponents shooting 40% on three-pointers. That clearly will normalize. And for sure, their strategy, particularly with Robin Lopez, they did this with Mo Wagner today as well, is to hang back at the rim, really protect the basket at all costs, and give up a lot of mid-rangers. And generally, teams are going to shoot a little bit better for mid-range against you when that is your strategy. So, uh, And teams are hitting the jump shot really well from two as well as from three. Uh what else, though, is there to say about this Wizards defense besides where they are giving up shots from? Well, so so they're not forcing they're not forcing turnovers. Um, but like so so actually, the big picture thing they said is like even a normalized Wizards defense, like if opponents shot closer to it, they still wouldn't be great. They would just be a lot less terrible. Uh, Wizards aren't forcing many turnovers and they're fouling a ton, but they are doing a decent job on the defensive glass, which primarily is shock of shocks when Lopez is on the floor. The rest of the time, it can be a little bit shaky. Yeah, and that's uh, again, it's been a hallmark of Robin Lopez's teams as well because he plays that conservative style that they don't force a a ton of turnovers and uh, do pretty well on the defensive glass uh and then of course uh, before we get into this boston washington game we have to talk about the beal westbrook on off combinations Oh yeah, I mean the numbers on it. This these were compiled before the Celtics game, but the numbers are are pretty ridiculous. So not surprisingly, and this was inspired by that 
just no hope of a game the Wizards had earlier in the week. I believe that was against the um, was that against the Rockets. No, it was I can't remember who that was against, but they just got. I was watching that and the, they got crushed. Um, negative seven point six net rating when Beal's off the floor. Actually, a little bit better defensively than I anticipated, but there's some shooting luck there, which of course we don't see in the rest of the profile. But when Westbrook is on and Beal is off, that net rating drops to a negative fourteen point eight with a ninety seven eight offensive rating, which is completely ridiculous. And then when Beal is on and Westbrook is off still slightly negative but that offensive rating jumps up to a 116 yeah by the way you you uh the no hopers you were thinking of they got blown out by the heat hornets raptors and knicks uh, it was the knicks game that was uh, the one i was thinking about for so yeah yeah and westbrook we saw it in this boston game too when it's just him out there they don't have any other creators and so it's just mid-ranger after mid-ranger and even uh, with washington playing well in this game against boston he was three of 14 at one point and got a couple of plays in transition but in the half court teams are just kind of backing off of him and he's shooting the mid-ranger and he hit a few to start the year but it's uh not been good and uh he even airballed a free throw today which was not too exciting a little bit short so uh, the only other thing i can say about the whiz here is that they did not play ish smith today it was howell neto in the backup point guard minutes they actually as we noted last week pretty decent with ish smith on the floor interestingly enough uh, but he was injured today with a quad issue and he's also going to sit out monday's big reunion with john wall and the rockets so uh meanwhile well you mentioned that the whiz are giving up 40 percent three-point shooting to opponents one of the things that made their offense better than people expected last year was they were second in the nba at making wide open threes they shot over 40 percent davis bertans of course so it was a big part of that this year they are second to last in the nba at making wide open threes only 36.5 percent they are actually generating more wide open threes this year they are at the bottom of the league in terms of the number of wide open threes generated and wide open by the way is six or more feet of space per the nba's tracking data uh and so they're generating more this year not a ton but kind of more mid-pack but they just can't make them so far this season let's get into this game against boston and we'll uh get to them as well here but the big news was that the Wiz started both Garrison Matthews and Mo Wagner. Garrison Matthews got the Keith Bogans in the first half, but he did start. Didn't really do much offensively. The Celtics tried to go at him with Jalen Brown in the post. And I mean, they basically were starting Garrison Matthews at the three, Rui Hachimura and Westbrook and Buell, the other starters. So Jalen Brown was guarded by Matthews. They put Beal on, I'm sorry, they put Hachimura on Jason Tatum. And Matthews just fought hard. And then Mo Wagner, I thought, was really good in this game. Picked up a couple of charges, as is his want. And you remember last year, before he, he suffered that pretty severe ankle injury, he was one of the best in the league at true shooting. And he had this reputation as a stretch forward. Really, he was much better finishing around the rim than people expected. And while he's not some nuclear athlete, he's just able to find the crevices in there. Good feel for cutting. He, he slipped to the rim against Robert Williams one time when he was setting a pin down for Bradley Beal and Williams overreacted to that. He Westbrook fed him for a dunk. So he, just in terms of protecting the rim, they had some trouble scoring around him and he drew those couple of charges or finding space inside to finish. I, I thought that Mo Wagner had a nice game and I, another one of those kind of head-scratching situations where you wonder why they didn't pick up his fourth-year option. I guess they feel like they can just bring him back. Anyway, uh, Bradley Beal started five out of five, then missed his next six but then went crazy the rest of the game. 
he other than the six in a row that he missed he was 10 out of 12 in this game also was 11 of 11 from the foul line 35 points in all and the Wizards just particularly in the second quarter were getting to the foul line at will they put the Celtics into the bonus with eight minutes and 30 seconds left in the second quarters we'll get to how ugly a game this was for the Celtics and really everyone uh, ended up playing well they led by 22 midway through the third it was ended up being a blowout the only reason it was close is because they only scored 15 points in the fourth quarter in garbage time so uh let's get to the boston celtics here what are their fundamentals the celtics for the season are 13 and 13 they are three and five since the last 1560 even with that 500 record they're still plus 2.1 in net rating which is ninth in the nba 15th in offense seventh in defense and it's really been an offensive slide for them. That, that's what's kind of fueled some of this. Um, Boston still projected to finish fourth in the East with 42 wins per 538. Also, they're going to make the playoffs. One would think so, or, yeah, I mean, or at least the play. I mean, it's, it, it seems like everybody in the East right now <laughs> is, is in free fall. And a couple of stats here on Boston. They still are desperately missing Marcus Smart. I mean, that was what the loss of Gordon Hayward really did was it made them very thin on the perimeter. And I went through some of this data just to, we'll have this for a lot of teams. Boston is fifth in the NBA taking 11.2 pull-up threes per game and hitting 37%. And they have two of the better pull-up three artists in the league in Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum. Walker is starting to get going a a little bit. His overall stats in the season are pretty grisly. And uh, Jalen Brown, also uh, has shot the ball well off the dribble uh, from three but and sometimes you'll see this dichotomy that teams that take a lot of pull-up threes don't get a lot of wide open threes they are generating the fifth fewest wide open threes per game which is 14.3 they are hitting 39 percent of those which is pretty close to average on those wide open three attempts and generally wide open threes are all spot up uh, attempts as well so those are the juiciest shots that you're going to get you'll be much above the league average of 36 percent with those or at least you should be uh but they don't have many guys who just can take and make spot ups and the biggest thing that struck me about this was all right when the starters are in the game and not that the starters played well in this one but you've got walker braun and tatum you still have to start semi ojale or grant williams or Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice together. And even that, you probably don't really have enough shooting. The, the Wizards did a really nice job of helping off of any of those guys. Ojale was one out of six from three. And really the only guy who is a good shooter in the rotation out of the starting lineup is Peyton Pritchard. You can see why he's been playing so much, although he did not have a good game in this one, only two out of seven. And then you take one of Walker, Braun, or Tatum off the floor and and all of a sudden now you're playing Grant Williams or Semi Ojale at the three and they tried playing two bigs together. It's really looking ugly. You mentioned that their offense has fallen off and that's why, I mean, they just don't have enough good offensive players. They tried Aaron Neesmith for 29 minutes in this after Brad Stevens said at the beginning of the game, he probably wasn't going to be in the rotation, but then those guys just weren't being guarded and credit the Wizards for not guarding them. And so just the number of times that someone came off of Grant Williams to just completely muck up any kind of spacing uh and it's perfect for the wizards too because you, as you talked about their strategy is to really kind of slough in not allow plays at the rim and so 
the fact that they're already pretty well disposed to help was uh, a big problem for the Celtics and that's how they ended up putting up 91 points in this game and Jason Tatum was awful 6.3 of 14 so the Celtics got to get Marcus Smart back and then they gotta also probably get at least one more rotation guy who can actually hit a shot are you ready to move on to the Raptors? Got a few more notes uh, sure. on this game actually here from Boston. Robert Williams, a- another guy who really struggled. I mean, this was a one a or one p.m. Eastern start, and it was a subnambulant performance for the Celtics. They had 15 turnovers through the competitive portion of the game, which was basically the first 30 minutes or so. Just a number of plays in the first half where they just like threw the ball out of bounds, missed guys who were wide open, like the Celtics ball movement was extremely poor. They got nothing in transition. They were fouling like crazy so that they couldn't get anything going the other way in transition. They're picking up a bunch of charges and turnovers that way. And Robert Williams, in particular had a struggle he comes in the game doesn't start to play until the second quarter and they kind of are trying this golden state warriors three-headed monster style center rotation they throw the ball into the post looked like they were trying to get some screening action going and he just turns and shoots the jump shot with 15 on the shot clock over robin lopez misses it on the left baseline like a, a terrible shot just a, a lot of really unaware plays from robert williams he got out hustled by mo wagner and robin lopez uh, on a couple of occasions um another example of the celtics just uh, overall mental lapses in this game was end of the first quarter Peyton Pritchard is dribbling up top Howell Neto pressures him knocks it away there's still 12 seconds left in the half Pritchard gets it saves it Grant Williams gets the ball in the left corner but still 12 seconds left in the quarter two second differential takes the three misses it Tristan Thompson gets the offensive rebound he goes right back up with a difficult hook shot that misses and then Washington comes back down and Denny Avdia hits a three-pointer right at the end they're only down four they go down seven and they really never got back into contact after that point but those are just an example of the mental mistakes they're making and Brad Stevens expressed a lot of frustration saying that they have to do the little things better and and I agree in this one but the bigger problem to me is just their offensive personnel right now so yeah let's uh move on here to let's stay at the bottom of the alphabet from the Wizards and go to the Raptors the Raptors moving along they're 12 and 15 5 and 3 since the last 15 and 60 they're up to 10th in net rating plus 1.6 ninth in offense we can talk about that in a bit um 17th in defense 538 projects them to win 39 games which would be fifth in the east 90 and over 90 percent chance of making the playoffs in both 538 models and early on in the season um you and i talked about this and also also seth and i talked about that the raptors were dead last in half court offense at the very beginning of the year and then they were bottom ish toward after that they're bottom 10 when they started out two and eight since then seventh best in the nba um and it's not like that was a guaranteed that was going to continue and it's been a big part of pushing them because this raptors team has not been as good defensively as they were in prior years yeah a lot of that you would say is due to their centers but yeah it has been a more dynamic offensive group fred van Vliet has taken a, another step forward this year and it, it's funny pascal siakam is basically having the opposite of the season that he had last year where last year he started off absolutely on fire uh particularly shooting the jump shot and kind of rode that to a, an all nba second team which was a little bit beyond uh, what i thought he deserved and but he kind of fell off month by month and then wasn't any good in the bubble this year 
year the narrative was they're two and eight Siakam is terrible he's continuing this terrible bubble what's going on but he's kind of right back where he was at the end of last season in a lot of respects at least the overall line although he's getting there in somewhat different ways yeah that's what's actually really compelling about this to me is that Siakam like the the overall numbers are pretty similar you know like the true shooting and overall usage there there are a couple drops but not, not too dramatic however he's splitting it very differently in terms of success from three and from two last year Siakam made 36 percent of his threes taking 6.2 per 36 minutes that's 36 percent is down to 30 percent and his attempt rate not surprisingly but a little bit concerningly has dropped to 4.1 per 36 free throw attempt rates about the same so instead he's taking and making more twos and so what was striking there is that yes Siakam is shooting 47 percent on what five what clean the glass calls long mid-range shots um and he made 34 percent from last year but Siakam made almost half of those the year before, admittedly on a lower volume, because remember back then he wasn't the same the same offensive burden at that point. So we'll kind of keep an eye on it. Also has a slightly higher assist rate and slightly lower scoring usage. So it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think that it the shooting to me is not as broken as it has been, or it's not as bad as it's been so far. So maybe there is a more efficient player in here, but I also, I'm skeptical, of course, of the mid-range numbers just because that 47% on long mid-rangers is incredibly good. Yeah, and you would think maybe that'll go down the three-point shooting will go up a little bit but in some ways at least for this team I think that his shooting on long twos can actually be more valuable just because they don't really have anyone else for these self-created type of plays that was really we thought the recipe if they were going to be a lot better this year which obviously they haven't been because their defense hasn't been as good it would be him taking another step as a creator and that kind of happened kind of hasn't you know i'm not saying that he's been way better but if you want to look at another huge drop off that he's had that I, i think is underrated is his transition from last year right and I was looking, you know, this is something we do comparing comparing a player and their synergy splits to last year. And obviously we're dealing with a smaller sample size for the 2020 slash 21 season than previously. Siakam was an, an effective transition player last year. And he's actually in the ninth percentile right now as a transition score. Remember that transition scoring That's bad. is as synergy classifies it, that usually counts all of your turnovers as well. So it's not quite that ridiculous, but I wanted to watch the film because like going from being a pretty good transition score to being awful, that doesn't usually happen, especially for somebody as physically talented as Siakam. And what I noticed was going through a lot of the film, a lot of the self-created stuff, and I think Raptors fans are probably going to solemnly nod their heads with this, was Siakam trying to create in a crowd, like a lot of like one-on-three stuff and Siakam's just like, screw it, I'm going to go for it. And those shots didn't really go in very much. But when he was a part of an overall rush when he, when Siakam was getting the ball from someone else. It looked a lot more normal. It looked a lot better. So it might just be, you know, like Nick Nurse saying, hey, you know, like if you don't have any semblance of an advantage, you don't need, you can try, just don't take a shot, you know, just push and, and then be able to pull back, which a lot of guys are, are better at now. Yeah. Uh, uh, although I, I will say as a big man who fancied himself someone who could grab and go uh, back when I actually was in good enough shape to do that, what always killed me is like I would push it and then it became one in three because the guards were just waiting for an outlet. And then when I started drilling, they wouldn't run with me. They would just sort of wait. And then, yeah, of course, I'm going to turn it over because it's now become one on three because you're not actually running with me. <laughs> I don't think that's what's happening too much. They, they, the, the, uh, 
the Raptors uh, have a good running ethos uh, and they're a good running team uh, again this season second in, in the NBA a little bit lower in terms of frequency they're 18 percent in transition last year they're down to 17 this year but uh, they're right behind Milwaukee uh, again uh, this season they still push the ball up so uh and they're just about as efficient on those plays as they were last year as well um anything else you want to talk about on uh, Siakam yeah just just briefly um so if we include passes which I like to do for pick and rolls the raptors are scoring 1.16 points per possession on siakam pick and rolls which is really good and it's only 90 possessions so you don't want to go yeah. too crazy about it helps that his teammates are absolutely drilling the spot ups like his numbers as a scorer are, are definitely good but as a scorer plus an assister it really bumps it up and um something i think is interesting i'm going to look into this a little bit more siakam is around the 30th percentile both on catch and shoots and shots off the dribble unsurprisingly shots off the dribble are harder and thus have a lower point per possession but he's just around that the one-third mark in both pretty big step down in catch and shoots compared to last year but i think that might just be a small sample size again that ties in with that 30 percent that we were talking about from three earlier so i want to keep an eye on how those numbers look let's say two months from now yeah, and you mentioned that his teammates uh, are drilling the three-pointers that he is setting up uh, for them. Toronto is third in the NBA, generating 21.6 wide-open threes per game, and they are hitting a pretty scalding 40.7% of those. But Danny, would you care to guess which NBA team generates the most wide-open threes per game coming into tonight's action? My first thought was the Bucks. The Bucks are up there. They are not the highest. So the Bucks uh, are either either number two or number three. Um, the Jazz are also right up there. Yeah, that was as that was well. the other team and I both thought of. Those, both those teams are shooting really well. But no, it is uh, neither of those teams. I will give you a hint. It is a team that you would never guess. <laughs> <laughs> is that a good hint? That's a, that's a good hint. Uh, it is a team that was projected to be one of the worst teams in the nba coming into this season oklahoma city the oklahoma city thunder wow. are creating the most wide open threes per game and part of that is perhaps because they're open for a reason you know the Lou dort effect uh, perhaps but that's pretty remarkable i mean and and it's too bad that ben actually isn't doing okc now because how the hell they're winning they beat the bucks tonight how the hell they're winning these games with no shea gilgis alexander or or at least being competitive in them like having decent offensive performances i have no idea i mean start it you know uh, mark dagnalt uh might be pretty good uh, we'll have to dig into that more perhaps next week but let's dig in now to the 18 and 9 philadelphia 76ers four and three since the last time we checked in on them eighth in the nba in net rating plus 2.2 they do lead the east looked like the bucks were breathing down their necks now the bucks have lost three straight to fall to 16 and 11 so got a relatively comfortable margin at the top there though they've played one of the easiest schedules in the nba they are 13th on offense 112.8 their defense ranks eighth in the nba they project for second in the eastern conference 46 wins 99% chance of the playoffs per raptor elo 98% chance and before we talk about them we are doing their game tomorrow sixers jazz number one seed in the east versus number one seed in the west nba league pass pretty hyped up for that one absolutely i mean the center matchup alone is is going to be exciting and i something i'm going to keep an eye on when we do that game i, I watched sixers Suns on saturday which was one of the few sixers losses it used to be none but now it's a few 
where they had all their starters. And to me, that like the loss wasn't entirely about the starters, though it wasn't like the most ridiculous performance from and Simmons had some really nice moments, but like and Harris disappeared at times, but then had some other nice ones. But something that Derek Bodner noted on Twitter, and I looked into afterwards because I thought it was really fascinating, is Doc is trying to keep Embiid and Simmons together. And now that they the Sixers have more shooting around those guys, it actually makes more sense. Their games can work together. Um, but it does really create some no hope minutes when those guys are out because the Sixers have so few other creators. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and uh, it seems like their offense, uh, when those two guys are out of the game, and not a surprise with Dwight Howard, uh, their main backup center is, they just uh, try to play volleyball on the offensive glass, 32% offensive rebounds, which uh, is much higher than the highest in the NBA for a team. And about half of those possessions even are no Embiid, no Simmons, and no Tobias Harris, uh, although many of those were compiled during uh, that period where they had a couple of just like the entire team was basically out due to code protocols yeah because remember to have those three guys out if somebody is not playing in the game it makes it a lot easier to make that work and then Bodner had the stat which kind of triggered all this that the Sixers outscored the Suns with the starters on the floor but the Suns outscored the Sixers 49-34 in all other configurations uh Etwan Moore had a really nice game Dario the Dario Sharch at center minutes were actually my favorite from an aesthetic standpoint see there was the largely tied that with when Dwight was on the floor and so it was just CP and Sharich making some beautiful like pick and roll action CP finding charge on passes it, it was really really fun to watch and um something we wanted to talk about a little bit is um I, I what I was you know just tooling around with synergy and all that looking at stuff and I don't want to get too far into the Simmons like half court offense stuff because I want to do a lot more film work there eventually but the Sixers have a 1.7, so basically, a one, let's call it this way, a 173 offensive rating when Simmons has the ball in transition, including passes. Like, that includes turnovers and everything else. That is completely ridiculous. Yeah, and most of that is him setting plays up. Sixers shooting really well off his passes. In fact, he has set up the most three-pointers of anyone in the NBA. And that's a little bit of a surprise because... The Sixers really are not shooting many threes, although the threes that they do shoot are all spot-ups. They are taking a league-low six pull-up threes per game. That's really, really low. Then they've been averaging over these this last stretch about 24 three-pointers per game in the last couple of weeks, which is, you know, it's been a long time since a team has averaged that few three-pointers per game. And very interesting because, you know, they're built around a post-up player. Ben Simmons doesn't shoot any threes. They got some guys off the bench who don't really shoot many threes. Mike Scott isn't really in the rotation who shoots threes. Doc Rivers teams have never really shot that many three-pointers. And it's interesting to see the Clippers shooting a lot more this year, for example. And so we thought Daryl Morey, you know, they they got some more three-point shooters in. Like, uh, what's the story here? Uh, Are they going to shoot more threes? And it seemed like they were for a while. But what they really have been relying on now is insanely hot shooting for mid-range. The Sixers are 49% shooters from mid-range. And they've also taken the third most mid-range in the league. This is jump shots outside the paint from two-point range. That's going to come down. The best in the NBA is usually around 46%. The 19 Warriors with Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Kevin Durant and John Livingston had, you know, were like 49%. But generally, the league leader in that category is around 46%. 
And as everyone knows, the league average is about 40%, both from floater range and from mid-range. And now they're also hitting 48% on floaters, which they have also taken a ton of. So who's hitting all these? Joel Embiid is shooting 65% from 16 to 23 feet and 52% from 10 to 16 feet. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more uh, about his post-ups in a second. Tobias Harris is basically about 50% on twos outside of 10 feet. They also got Shake Milton, who has been outstanding. Tyrese Maxey uh, has a really good floater game. Seth Curry that shoots it at 44% from 16 to 23 feet. So they have been drilling these mid-rangers, uh, and particularly Harris, that's been a big part of why he's been more effective this year. So some of this is not going to continue um, for sure. That's uh, shooting 49% from that type of range is just not something that a team really does over the course of, of a full season. Back to Joel Embiid, though where he has been so effective is facing up out of the post on the left block and when he faces up on the left block he's got 73 points on 55 possessions much better about half the time he'll face up and then about half the time he'll go back to goal and he's much less effective going back to goal uh particularly effective is when he doesn't put the ball on the floor at all he just turns and faces and just shoots it he's 14 to 23 on those i've always said uh, we've done many a sixers game live over the years that you just you can't let him just shoot the ball without forcing him to put it on the floor but when he does put it on the floor particularly going to his left he's pretty nasty as well he'll get fouled over 40 percent of the time he'll use that rip move he'll feel the contact feel the guy's forearm on him as he goes left towards the baseline throw something up uh, get to the foul he gets fouled 40 percent of the time when he puts it on the floor out of that face-up position from the left block uh, so i think my strategy against him uh, would be twofold i would try to crowd him and then make him go to his right uh he loves to go left and draw that foul going left he's very comfortable going right you know the hook shot across the lane is not a move he's uh, as comfortable with and then also i think you just got to double team a little bit more you mentioned ben simmons passing well the sixers are not doing that well when joel Embiid passes out of the post when he shoots out of the post 1.07 points per possession and you mentioned that half court offensive rating for the raptors earlier was 100 i mean that's very good in the half court so 1.07 points per possession out of a post up which is by definition is going to be half court offense almost all the time that's really awesome but when he passes out of the post 0.97 points per possession which is still pretty solid but not that great and it's not like they're getting like a ton of guys cutting to the rim or anything like it's really just leading to spot ups and so i think my goal would be to try to make him pass out of the post if i could so uh, all really interesting stuff there from the sixers but particularly given the number of mid-rangers they're shooting how they're shooting fewer threes lately and the unsustainable amount that they're making for mid-range i would predict that unless things change they might be in for a little bit of a regression on offense let's go to the orlando magic the magic are 10 and 18 2 and 6 since the last 15 and 60 including a loss on sunday to the phoenix suns by 29 um they're now 28th in net rating negative 7.1 third from the bottom in offense 20th in defense and 538s their their odds have really plummeted the magic projected finish 11th in the east with 29 wins only a 22 percent chance to make the playoffs in raptor 15 percent chance in elo the good news is that Michael Carter Williams came back and had a big game in their win against Sacramento, one of the two that they've had since last 1560, 21-7-7, and Vooch had a big game too. Um, and yeah, they smacked, they smacked the Kings. They did. In that game. 
And it is definitely a, a rough, a down season for the Magic, but I did want to take a, a bit to talk about uh, Vooch's season so far, averaging 24, 11 and a half, and three and a half per game, career high in points per game, close in rebounds, and really effective, 58% true shooting on 28.4 usage, which is a career high just around the same as his all-star season. Vooch shooting 44% from three and 51% from two, not getting to the line, we knew that. And he's 10th among centers in RPM and 5th in offensive RPM, and it's a strong group ahead of him. Jokic, Embiid, Porzingis, and Christian Wood. Well, and this is fascinating. You mentioned uh, RPM because uh, we have uh, RAPM, which is just the, that's just the total regularized adjusted plus minus. No box support component because your problem with the, the regularized adjusted plus minus, particularly this early in the season, but even, you know, unless you're getting into like multiple years is you just don't have enough information, right? Because the sample sizes are just too small of what teammates you're playing with what opponents you're going against, it's supposed to adjust for all that but i think it's interesting to look at what is based purely on the on-off data that's what rapm is as opposed to the box score component as well which is supposed to kind of stabilize things out and frankly make it more accurate because there's so much noise in the data but when you look at the rapm data He's fifth worst in the league in luck adjusted RAPM, which adjusts for teams hitting like a ton of threes against you, free throw, uh, higher free throw percentage, that kind of thing. You know, kind of similar to what PIPM used to do before we lost uh, Jacob Goldstein to the Wizards. Uh, so apparently, and, and this is the case with Steph Curry as well. Like Steph Curry's on off splits until very recently uh, have not been great. A lot of those have been defensive because uh, they're obviously way better offensively. But this shows you like RPM, at least at this point in the season, is much more box score base at this point and to see that dichotomy where he's one of the best centers in the league in rpm and one of the worst overall players in the league in terms of rapm so that's a little further discussion there on what goes into those sorts of things um but i mean that game against the kings was completely ridiculous 42 points 17 to 22 in 34 minutes just completely abused rashawn holmes and hassan whiteside his above the break three point has been one of the best above the break three point shooters in the league this season and has started really getting into his bag a little bit more as well like he had one of the five shots he missed was getting it at the free throw line dribbling hard basically towards the left baseline from the free throw line and then going to a one-legged fadeaway over white side he obviously was feeling it at that point but i mean basically any shot that nikola vucevic takes for this magic team at this point is a good one anything else on him i want to talk a little bit about uh chuma kiki no go ahead so this is pretty funny i, I saw just like uh on twitter i think that the magic official account tweeted out a block shot of chuma kiki getting beaten from, by zach levine but in the half court but kind of chasing him down blocking a shot i'm like oh that's intriguing like it's a good competition there well when i dug into it further chuma kiki only has three shot blocks on the year and two of those shot blocks came against zach levine one one was in help position and one was the uh aforementioned block uh this is okiki's age 22 season you recall that he was drafted did not sign an nba contract last season uh, apparently due to an agreement drafted 16th overall and was 
rehabbing the ACL. So this is his rookie year and the first year of his contract, which is a little different than someone like Michael Porter. So that was part of the the whole agreement, I think, was just to get him under contract for another year because of uh, the torn ACL. But he's uh, 45% true shooting, 9.3 PER, 10.3 usage, which is actually up a little bit from where it was a couple of weeks ago. Does get 6% offensive rebounds, which is decent, taking half of his shots from three. Probably the most encouraging part of his offensive game is that he's hitting 32% from three. Um, yes, I'm aware that is damning with faint praise, but he's only taking 3.3 three-point attempts per 36 minutes. Granted, this is a Magic team that is not generating a lot of three-pointers. Uh, they are taking the most mid-rangers in the league, and they're right up there in terms of the most floaters taken in the league as well. So offensively not a ton to like there uh, just the usage is totally low not really doing anything self-created at all mostly spot ups this isn't a great transition team particularly without uh, Marco Fultz now so you could think he might be a little bit better there on defense I have he's got good strength and size but I haven't really loved his ability to stay in front of his man from a foot speed perspective and in their game against Portland last week he really got kind of beat up by Carmelo Anthony he committed a couple of bad fouls on pump fakes what were going to be difficult turnaround jumpers he got in the air I mean to do that twice in one game against Carmelo is not good Carmelo doesn't get to the line anymore then Carmelo got him for a three-pointer okay was way off of him because he was worried about committing the foul and didn't get a good contest Carmelo hit the three right in his face Carmelo even beat him with an inside out dribble and kind of blew by him a little bit which was kind of ugly as well um so I haven't thought that he's looked like particularly quick of foot. He does have pretty quick hands. Like a lot of times, uh, like you got Steph Curry with this once when he was actually defending the roll man and pick and roll. He might be about to get beat, but he can actually like get a hand on his ball and tip it away as the guy's going past him. Uh, 1.4 steals per 36. That's decent, but I mentioned only the three blocks on the season so uh, we haven't seen a lot yet from him to indicate that he's going to be a, a rotation player and certainly he's taking some time to get back from the acl doesn't have experience but you know i mean he did tear his acl in april of 2019 so he's coming up on two years uh, past that now and he's gonna have to get a lot better on uh, you know i mean even if he were like an awesome defensive player the offense would be maybe barely passable right now so i think he's got to get better on defense and a lot better on offense even to be a decent rotation player and not saying that that can't happen but the signs so far ha- have not been positive I'm, I'm not gonna foreclose it but there we haven't seen anything really to like about him at this point so far other than being kind of strong and this shouldn't be a huge surprise considering the magic have been on, among the higher teams in mid-rangers each of the last couple of years but they're not only taking the most mid-rangers in total but they're taking the most long twos but you know some teams they take those because they're guys can make him magic are 25th in the league in percentage on long twos so not great let's get to the new york knicks 13 and 15 have righted the ship a, a little bit lately four and four since the last 15 and 60 they've had a couple of blowout wins in the last week uh, over the rockets and the whiz they actually have a positive net rating plus 0.2 those blowout wins that have really helped that 24th on offense that's actually a big improvement from where they were down at the bottom of the league earlier in the season and third on defense 108 still absolutely amazing that 108 is uh 
gets you third on defense uh, these days they project to tie for the 18 31 wins although obviously that is still well below water uh 38 chance of the playoffs per raptor 70 percent per elo so this is one of those splits where raptor looks at their personnel and kind of adds that together to get to the playoff odds elo just looks at how have you played so far this year so elo likes them more than raptor what's the latest with them well and also i mean i think elo is also it it shifts a little bit based on how you've been playing right now and the last game the knicks played they beat the crap out of the rockets 121 99 on saturday and unfortunately mitchell robinson is out he has a fractured right hand he's out four to six weeks nerlens noel is starting in his stead and tosh gibson is his backup at center and i wanted to go through this for whatever reason i end up doing this a lot when a guy gets hurt i like to look at kind of like how things have gone for them i think it's also partially because the numbers aren't changing because they're not playing and robinson started all 27 games he played in averaged eight and a half points eight and a half assists and a block and a half in 29 minutes per game and the good news is that mitchell robinson's foul rate has dropped significantly it was up at 5.7 per 36 his rookie year and is now down to 3.6 per 36 and that was something you and i long talked about as something that was mandatory for mitchell robinson to be a starter in the nba something he has been so far this year and these will sound ridiculous to be to, to be a career low but mitchell robinson's 65 percent true shooting is his career low but it's only on 11.2 usage he actually turns the ball over on 11 percent of his possessions too yeah i would love to see this guy in like a real spread pick and roll system and see him get up for, for some of those nasty alley-oops but that doesn't appear to be in the cards with the current Knicks system and uh also some of the guys they have like Derek Rose for example he's always been much better finding shooters out of pick and roll he's never really had the facility to find the roll man or get alley-oops very well so I don't think the addition of him is going to help much but uh I guess we're not going to find out for another four to six weeks anyway yeah, and I watched a little bit of film, but not quite enough to, to get anything on this, that Robinson, he's shooting 39% on layups and connected to that, only about a point per possession on putbacks, which is unusually low, and brought up the, the usage for Robinson only at 11.2. They're not running anything for him. 24% of his possessions are as a roll man, but everything else is opportunistic, offensive rebounds, cuts, transition. So they're not asking him to do a lot, and he's doing okay with that, but not as ridiculously efficient as, as in prior years not like the Knicks spacing is amazing um but then one other thing that I thought was was really interesting I did when I was doing a little digging is I know the Knicks have done really well defending at the rim and so I wanted to see kind of how that how the credit should be apportioned on that and it was a more stark split than I had expected now you have to remember Robinson was primarily playing against starters and Noel was primarily playing against reserves but opponents were shooting 62 percent at the rim when Robinson's on the floor and under 55 percent when Noel was on the floor and he's and Robinson also hasn't been as much of a deterrent as I'd hoped uh, not many floaters a lot of shots around the rim which is a decent proxy so the foul rate's better and everything else like that but and, and it's not like I'm ter- horrendously down on Mitchell Robinson but I remember I was somebody who was high on him than most people and so i think he hasn't met my lofty expectations and so that leads to me being a little bit sad yeah and i still think there's uh, room for him 
to continue to grow with Tom Thibodeau. It's been a chaotic situation in New York during his career. And the Knicks also have this really interesting decision of whether to turn down their team option for a fourth year on him at the minimum to make him a restricted free agent. I think that one's going to kind of go right down to the wire and maybe they'll kind of have to figure out what sort of contract he's willing to take. You know, if you can agree, it's almost kind of an extension situation. If you can agree on a reasonable contract with the guy and he hasn't made any money in his career yet. You know, I I mean, it seems like he's kind of trending more towards your Avicii Zubats, Jakob Pertl sort of contract. That kind of seems like what his range might be. And and frankly, he hasn't, if he continues in this vein, probably hasn't produced it as much as those guys had at this point in time. Uh, Anything else you wanted to talk about with him? Uh, I I watched some of the film of of Robinson defending spot-ups. And when Robinson was engaged and it was his guy, I thought he did a nice job affecting shots, forcing drives. But like a lot of bigs, when he was kind of the guy who had to react, he was a little bit more apathetic and those didn't work out. Like there was even one where he was like the idea that they're more concerned about protecting the paint than threes. And so he had ended up on Paul George and basically conceded Paul George a three instead, like, because he was worried about the drives. Like Paul George is drilling all of those right now. And so, but that that's kind of a big man thing. I don't think Mitch Robinson is any worse than anybody else at it, but it was something I noticed. Last thing we could talk about here with the Knicks is they are shooting the worst in the NBA on wide open threes, only 34.9%. And that's a bad comment because they also generate the fewest wide open threes in the NBA only about 13 per game and then speaking of easy points they are dead 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 as a doorknob last in the NBA in getting into transition they only get in transition on 11 percent of their possessions which is 1.4 percent worse than 29th rated Dallas and they don't exactly make up for it in efficiency either. They're 25th in the NBA in efficiency in transition. So threes, transition, they are kind of like the anti-Milwaukee at this point in time. We'll talk more about them in a second here. Why don't we move on, however, to the Miami Heat, 11-15, and 15, but having righted the ship a little bit with the return of Jimmy Butler, 4-3 and three since the last 15-60, and 60, but 23rd in the NBA, negative 3.3 net rating, a putrid 26th on offense. The defense uh, has been where it needs to be at 9th. They project for the 7th seed, 34 wins, still below 500, uh, obviously. Uh, 72% chance of the playoffs with Raptor. Elo says only 51% chance. Uh, and that defense uh, has really improved in the last couple of weeks. It has, yeah. The last time we did a 15-60 and 60 on the East, the Heat were 19th in defense, and now they're 9th. So yeah, that has been a really important, and that includes they got waxed by the Jazz a couple days ago as well. Though that wasn't, as, I don't think of that as as much of a horrendous defensive performance. They just couldn't score at all. I mean, everyone's getting waxed <laughs> by the Jazz. Fair enough. Uh, uh, of late here. Uh, I thought this was interesting, again, going to this, uh, some of this tracking data and the three-point shooting. The Heat are among the league leaders in terms of taking three-pointers classified as tight coverage, which is a defender within two to four feet. And obviously, there's some variability with that. That tracking data basically just views your entire body as like a, a point in space. It doesn't show whether you get, get a hand up or a contest, but still a decent proxy for the type of shots. And obviously, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, that handoff game leads to some difficult shots so 6.4 of their threes per game are classified as that tight coverage 
to it with two to four feet of space they're hitting only 30 percent of those not a surprise those are difficult shots but last year they hit 34 percent of those and i do think those shots are important to take even if you're not making that many of them just because of the threat that they present the feeling that duncan robinson if i am not right in his shirt that he's gonna take this shot and make enough of them uh, that i gotta get even closer to him next time that opens up the back cuts opens up some other stuff they want to run out of that handoff game uh speaking of that handoff game the man who quarterbacks it is bam out of bio uh, but he's getting to a lot more self-created stuff this year. Seth Partnow had a piece for The Athletic late last week talking about how certain players' shots have gotten a lot easier or a lot harder. I shouldn't necessarily say easier, but more efficient just in terms of expected from the location and how contested they are. Bam is the opposite. Uh, he is uh, one of the players, I think uh, Seth's piece said he's the expected e-field goal percentage of the shots that he is taking is actually down 3%, but he's making a bunch of them. And to wit, 26 of 52 on jump shots off the dribble this year uh, for Bam Adebayo. And many of those are going to his left. He, when he's in an isolation, he likes to go left every time, but nobody can stop it. Uh, he's 13 of 19 out of isolation going left. And that's basically all pulling up for jump shots or getting fouled. He's 10 of 15 on pull-up jumpers going left out of isolation now he is this really good passer out of the dho game but he's basically never passing once he isos he has 63 iso possessions and on only six of those has he passed to a teammate for a shot uh but he has been very efficient 64 points on 54 isolations that he's taken himself by comparison posting up has not been as good for them and he doesn't have a lot of he doesn't have that classic kind of jump hook up and under fake you out kind of game well and he's Um, also he's also quicker like you know you think about his strength like what he's best at the triple threat is more of a competitive advantage for him than a post-up yeah and i think just you know isolation is probably these ones that he's dribbling into a little bit more and the the line between isolation and post-up on on synergy can be thin (laughs) and blurry from time to time but generally if you're dribbling into it it's more likely to be considered a an isolation um if he does post up you want it to be on the left block on the right block when he posts up he's two out of 13 uh, and but something that's really encouraging that makes you think that perhaps uh, this jump shot improvement is real is he's up to 85 percent from the line this year he'd been kind of in the low 70s 69 percent last year he's also boosted his usage from 21 percent to 24 percent and so all really encouraging and you know tim and i talked about last week how his off the dribble game really befuddled the celtics and We've talked about how there isn't really anyone to guard Joel Embiid now in the East. And Bam Adebayo isn't quite the same type of guy, but particularly given his ball handling skills, I think he can take advantage of some of these guys uh, with his size in the same way uh, that Joel Embiid could. So I I still don't know what to make uh, of Miami. uh, And But kind of one of the things I've been focusing on here is, are you playing well when you actually have your team together? And, And they're not playing at a championship type of level, but they're at least totally competent when Jimmy Butler is out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're outscoring opponents by five points per under possessions, and they're more efficient on offense. We talked about Miami overall for the season. They're 26th in offense, but they've 
been better when Butler's been on the floor. They're turning it over less. They're getting to the line more. And then on defense, they're they're doing a lot better job on the defensive glass. And also Butler, just, it, it makes the rotation, I think, make a lot more sense. And so I've been, I've been basically saying that I'm not concerned yet about them. And I think some of that is bearing fruit. They've been, they've looked better to me, not universally, but overall, and probably not going to get to some of those, some like the, a crazy great seed, probably not a good bet to go over that, that over underline preseason. But if the question is like, how are they going to be as a playoff team? I'm still cautiously optimistic. Yeah. And I think they got as good a chance anyone is getting to the sixth seed. Now, you know, Indiana is hovering around 500. The Hawks are really struggling of late as well. Toronto, you know, they had another bad loss to Minnesota today. So, uh, although Carl Anthony Towns is back and DeAndre Russell didn't play, so maybe that's not as bad of a loss uh, under those circumstances. But, you know, I mean, at, at 11 and 15, the, the Heat really aren't just like so out of position that if they just get it together, I mean, they, they probably are still the best team of any of those that I mentioned. And if that, in fact, is the case, they can play the best over the rest of the season, then they will get the sixth seed. They'll uh, avoid the play in potentially. Uh, let's move on to. Let's do the Bucks. Uh, the Bucks are Bucks here. sixteen and eleven, five and three since last. Oh yeah, you know what? I actually skipped the Bucks, so I went out of order. That's fine. That's uh, um, I, I just scrolled up too far. Wow. They've yeah, you uh, actually you actually Day, you actually fans. had a natural transition into the Bucks, but anyway, um, the yeah, I did. That's right. Yeah. Oh man, wow, I really that, that um, the the Bucks have jumped up to second in net rating, outscoring opponents by eight point four per hundred possessions. Second in offense, fourteenth in defense, and five thirty eight has. Notice that moving the Bucks, also Sixers have lost a couple games, move the Bucks up to first in the East in their Raptor projections, and they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, so I think where we can start here is let's uh, compare their overall offense in terms of efficiency and play type from last year to this year. And we can also take a look at how that changed in the 2020 playoff. So uh, anything, uh, we got the data in front of us here. Anything pop out to you as being like a, a huge difference compared to last year? I mean, the overall proportions are see, seem pretty similar. Uh, worth noting that, they've, that they're have that they running more and they're running more effectively. I think that it, that is important. Yeah. They were one of the least efficient transition teams last year as energy quantifies it and they are now one of the most efficient yeah 28th last year in terms of efficiency although uh they ran the most in the nba basically and they're doing that again this season uh and now they are fifth this year and i think a big part of that is because they run for threes and this year they are making a, a ton of those threes and here's a stat that i think informs a lot of that the bucks take 21.1 wide open threes per game as we mentioned that's fourth in the nba but they are hitting 42 percent of those this year which is a crazy number and they led the nba in wide open threes per game last year but they only made 37 percent of those wide open threes and a lot of those threes are coming in transition that is a big part of why they are among the leaders in transition and they've increased their transition frequency even higher this year uh from 20 20.6% of the time per synergy to 21.5% of the time per synergy this season and the cleaning the glass numbers show a similar increase yeah and and they are about they are about two percent of the time more in transition than the second place raptors per cleaning the glass and then you pulled some interesting data in terms of how the how their bucks are doing on pull-up threes which is which is a kind of a different a different part of the same overall tapestry yeah and a lot of that is Giannis Antetokounmpo most of his threes are pull-ups where the defense just backs right off of him 
Uh, but now the Bucks, all of a sudden, there's this feeling that they don't run that much pick and roll. So you'd think, all right, most pull up threes come out of pick and roll. Some of them come out of transition. Uh, but the Bucks are now third in the NBA in pull up three point attempts, and they are hitting 37% of those. That's pretty good. They're 12.2 per game. It's actually, shockingly enough, not a huge increase from last year when they were eighth in the NBA with 11.7 pull up threes per game. Giannis shooting a little better on pull-up threes 32.5 percent on his 77 attempts this year last year he was 28.9 percent on 218 pull-up threes uh but the problem is he's not really shooting any better on pull-up twos than pull-up threes so his overall e field goal percentage on pull-ups is 42.6 percent that's obviously pretty miserable but you got drew holiday and chris middleton both of them are shooting over 40 percent on pull-up threes for uh, the season uh, that's pretty good dante Devin Vincenzo he's down in the low 30s and DJ Augustin used to be a pretty good pull-up three-point shooter only 33 attempts and he's made less than a, a third of those I, I just thought this was interesting that Eric Bledsoe uh was 39 percent on 117 pull-up threes last year um it, it was obviously the spot-ups that always killed him in the playoffs but uh and then uh, i think just comparing the overall play types uh, on some of the half court stuff from 2021 to 2020 uh, is interesting here as well well actually sorry before we get to that one thing i thought and this yeah. is something that you and i have talked about at length in the past so bucks incredibly efficient in in transition you know, like we, we talked about the dominance there, the dominance they had in terms of frequency, 20.6% of their possessions during the regular season last year, that dropped to 16.2% because teams just can't run as much because a opponents get more rest and they're more zoned in on that sort of thing. Yeah, and they're forcing a few miss now this twenty twenty playoffs too. Uh, they play against the Magic, who not a great offense, uh, but you know, I, I don't think the Bucks even would say they played their best against the Magic. And then obviously uh, that game against the Heat as well and, and certainly the bucks had a, a lot of distractions uh, with the the protests last year also you know they, they may not have been as locked in understandably so in that magic series and then you know with against the heat they're taking the ball out of the net a, a lot yeah. and they also didn't play they played uh a game and a half without Giannis uh, as well in that series so he's the, their big transition pusher but I do think there's still cause for concern here because the more reliant you are on transition that is something that teams can really lock in on in the playoffs I think you know a half court offense is a little bit harder to stop in general a couple other things that kind of stood out they actually shot the ball pretty well on spot ups in the 2020 playoffs that wasn't the, the big problem that they had it wasn't being able to get in transition and then they couldn't do anything in the pick and roll pick and roll ball handlers there are 14th out of 16 teams in the playoffs 0.72 points per possession out of pick and roll and this season a little bit better they are 10th in the nba in pick and roll ball handler scoring they're also up at the top of the league in iso and then the other thing that i can point to is just a little higher pick and roll frequency in 2021 than 2020 or the 2020 playoffs and that's both for the ball handler and for the roll man and is something that has been talked about a lot that they're trying to get Giannis and Nakupo used more as the roll man and i think that's something that using his gravity late in games still having him involved in the play but not having him necessarily be the guy initiating it is what they're going to try to go to a little bit more 
running with Drew Holiday and the continued evolution of Chris Middleton, they've got a little bit more pick and roll juice than they have had in the past. And so we'll have to see whether that translates to the playoffs or not. Uh, this three game losing streak has been a little bit of a bummer, uh, particularly losing to OKC without Shea Gilles Alexander, as they had a chance to kind of surge into the lead in the East uh, with Philly kind of faltering a little bit as well. Let's jump to their central division foe, the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers are 14 and 13 on the season, three and five since the last 15 and 60. They're still positive in net rating, plus 1.1, which is 13th. 16th in offense, 11th in defense. 538 projects them to win 38 games, which would put them fifth in the East, and they have about an 80% chance chance of making the playoffs in both models. Yes, Seth's uh, piece noted that Miles Turner and Malcolm Brogdon are both among players whose expected e-field goal percentage on their shots has increased the most. My guess is that's due to the fact that they are taking so many fewer long twos and the shot distribution has changed quite a bit. Uh, the Pacers have taken the fourth fewest mid-rangers in the league and have made 38.4% of them, so that's below average. Last year, they took the second most mid-rangers in the NBA. They did hit 42% of them. Now, because they, I'm, my hypothesis is, well, number one, it could be luck that they're shooting a lower percentage, but number two, because you're only taking mid-rangers as a last resort, so the ones you are taking, you're kind of forced into them at the end of the shot clock. When you're willing to take a mid-ranger early in the clock you can probably get pretty open you can hit a a higher percentage but 42 percent isn't really going to cut it wanted to also compare some of the play type data for uh, similar to what we did with the bucks for indiana looking at both 2021 and 2020 see what has changed as far as how they are running their offense what types of plays uh, they are finishing well one of the most prominent changes is that spot ups are now the most frequent thing that they do and spot ups are generally among the most effective half court possessions both years actually they've been around 1.05 points per possession on those but having that be 22 and a half percent of your possessions as opposed to 19 that makes a difference yeah and interestingly they are much lower in their percentage of the time using the pick and roll ball handler they've that's gone from 19 percent of the time down to a little under 16 and they were 13th in the nba in terms of efficiency last year that's gone down to 20th but in terms of just the raw points per possession they're almost exactly the same 0.87 points per possession it's just that the league is getting more efficient on those plays but generally that self-created stuff that pick and roll ball handler that iso stuff uh, that's uh, not going to be as efficient that's the stuff that you use to try to get the other stuff you mentioned the spot up percentage uh, has gone up quite a bit and transition frequency is pretty similar this isn't a team that really has the personnel to run it down your throats they are just uh, uh, instead of doing pick and roll they've boosted a few uh, of their play types more handoff stuff uh getting the ball to the roll man happened a lot more last year again because they were just ran more pick and roll demontis sabonis in particular did a lot more as the roll man particularly getting to the rim rather than shooting a, a pick and pop we'll talk a little bit more about him later so they've kind of boosted these other play types just a little bit more mostly the the big reduction has been going from pick and roll ball handler 
that's been redistributed to spot ups and that generally is going to cause you to be a little bit more efficient although not much you know they're 16th in offense this year and they're i think 20th last year and they've fallen off a little bit defensively they had had some shooting luck to get to sixth a season ago so they're they seem like a relatively similar quality team and and obviously they've been uh beset by injuries so far this season demontis sabonis largely having a similar year um but statistically again in terms of like his play type usage what has changed uh, from 2020 to 2021 i mean we just talked about the shift in pick and roll you don't see it any dramatically anywhere more than with sabonis about a third of his possessions last year 30.3 percent buddy get down that 30 percent is now down to 21 percent of his possessions and and being a role man that that's reasonably efficient he's actually been a little bit less effective this year than in prior years but it's become a more balanced kind of diet for for Sabonis doing a little bit more posting up more the and then then the big an increase in terms of spot ups getting out a little bit more often in transition a few other play types and so it's it's that 10 percent of his stuff has been really spread throughout the rest of the portfolio those yeoman's work there I thought I had muted myself when I told the cat to get down off of my screen because it was or off my desk he was blocking the screen (laughs) but uh you're unperturbed you're able to uh finish it out Sabonis uh you know the post-ups haven't been that great and i think he's one of the players that you know demar Derozan is kind of like this too where i think that his effectiveness is very dependent on who his individual matchup is going to be if he has someone that he can kind of bully down in the block he can have really really good games uh but otherwise if he's getting forced into some more difficult hook shots that's not going to be uh, effective for him he's shooting only 33 percent from three to ten feet so if he posts up and you can keep him from just putting you in the goal which is difficult to do because he's a, a strong powerful player uh you're generally going to be forcing a, a pretty tough shot and he has been posting up a little bit more than he had uh, as you mentioned and really where he needs to get the ball is going to that right shoulder from the right block uh, as a left-handed player that's where he's really the most effective he's actually has gotten the ball a little bit more on the left block and also has gotten more comfortable going to his left shoulder where we talked about him being one of the most left-handed guys in the league lefties like to go to their right shoulder so they can shoot with their left hand uh but he hasn't really been effective on that left block which is fine he's trying to expand his game and that's something that he needs to do if he's going to score against higher quality defenders in the post usually though when he gets the ball on the left block it's devolving into a jump shot over that left shoulder he hasn't really developed the power moves going to his left shoulder that he has uh with his right shoulder so uh 0.78 points per possession on the left block for him which is not very good at all so uh yes it's evened out that he'll go left shoulder more often he has a counter but he's got to actually still be effective enough with that counter let's jump to the Should we move yeah, to the pistons yes. yeah let's do it yes. the pistons are eight and 19 or totally respectable three and four since the last 15 and 60 including a win on sunday against the new orleans pelicans pistons are now 24th in net rating negative 4.7 22nd in offense 21st in defense 538 still projects them to win 23 games which is 14th in the east 14th is better than 15th and still low chance of making the playoffs and i think the big takeaway for me for the pistons having watched a little bit of them recently uh, including that 
weird overtime loss they had to the Lakers last weekend is that early in the year, I, I, I was... I, I will acknowledge some fault here that I was killing them. Their record was terrible. Also, like when I watched them, they were terrible. But they were underperforming their point differential. And so it's looking more like the Pistons aren't a great team, to be sure, but that they aren't the horrendous, abysmal team that they were really to start the year. They got a win over the KD Los Nets, and they beat the Celtics 108-102 before that Pelicans win. They did lose to the to the Pacers, but they're they're not amazing, but they're not terrible. Well, if you had told me before the season that Derrick Rose was going to be like 50% true shooting and would be traded already, and that Blake Griffin would be as rough as he has been, Blake Griffin is only shooting 42% from two and 31% from three. He has a 10 PER, turns 32 in March. We have the same birthday, actually. Uh, But compare that to that All-NBA campaign two years ago when he was 53% from two and 36% from three. He's taking well over half of his shots from downtown struggling to distribute as well because uh, he doesn't have a, as much of the scoring threat and still playing 31 minutes a game so if you told me that that was what they're going to get out of Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose this is they've actually been better than uh, I would have expected uh but I, I did still rule them out of the playoffs in my little game with Hollinger last week and part of that is just because of what who they're going to be playing what the mandate appears to be here and now that Dennis Smith Jr. has joined, looks like he's going to be their backup point guard. Um, and it, it, the early stats are rough. Odds are he's probably going to just kill them. Um, even even if, you know, I, I completely support trying to see if there's anything there, try to rehab him, get him his confidence back. That's going to take some time, obviously. Um, and hilariously like he's got like a negative per but awesome net rating so far in these two games he's played against indiana and their victory against boston yeah and then he was all smith was also plus seven in the win over the pels on sunday big performances from some of their bench guys including svi 18 points seven of 11 from the field as remember this was such a big story early in the season how teams didn't have average games shooting threes against the pelicans and the bucks detroit 17 of 35 from three in their win and seku dumbuya not having not having a, a great run of it not doing a full breakdown on him or anything but he's dealing with a concussion playing 13 minutes a game averaging four points and two and a half rebounds 44 percent true shooting on on 18 usage and three-pointer hasn't come around shooting 26 percent on just 4.3 percent or 4.5 per 36 minutes has made his free throws but we're only at 23 for the whole season so i'm not gonna read too much into that yeah and he also has a negative 16.5 net rating Yikes. which is not great so hopefully we won't look back on like those two weeks when he first started getting playing time last year as like the high water mark yeah. oh i, I should have noted when still, i was, yeah. when i was talking about the um i i just didn't want to forget it when we we're talking about the pels game that Plumley did have a triple double had 10 assists and was 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 a good player in the game yeah they shot 17 and 35 from three the pels were nine out of 35 stan van gundy not happy losing to his former team he says that changes are coming uh Sadiq Bey was seven of seven from downtown at 30 points against the Celtics and then a further four of eight first to Pels I mean despite that kind of awkward shot release point in front of his head or out in front of his head I should say that he looks like he's going to be a quality shooter the rest of his uh offensive game you know since he's a little limited athletically we'll see but you know, he competes defensively smart player and the fact that he can shoot it like this is very encouraging 
Um, hopefully the Pistons can find a little bit more creation because they generate the fewest wide open threes per game, 13.2. I think I might've said the Knicks were the fewest. They're actually 29th, uh, in the NBA in terms of number of wide open threes generated per game. That's usually a pretty decent sign of the health of your offense. And Jeremy Grant did struggle against the Celtics. He's down four of 15. So he's now down to a league average true shooting percentage, still never turns it over, which is good, but something to keep an eye on to see whether, you know, it was just some hot shooting for him early on and and now that he's he's probably going to be the number one focus of defenses uh, on this team with no Derek Rose now and Griffin uh, kind of a husk. Well, that and keeping Isaiah Stewart off the offensive glass. Yeah, that guy is fucking relentless. It's awesome. 15% offensive rebounds and just watching him go after the ball, he just has no stop to him. Also has the best net rating on the team among players who have played any kind of significant minutes. 3.0 net rating and teams are shooting only 55% at the rim with him on the floor in 423 minutes and the defense is 6.3 points for 100 possessions better with him on the floor despite the fact that opponents uh, are shooting pretty well on jumpers about 40 percent on three and pretty well from the mid-range as well now not sure i'm gonna buy that he's like some unbelievable rim protector teams don't shoot any fewer shots at the rim with him out there so that's usually if a guy's really a good rim protector you'll see teams shoot fewer shots at the rim and a lower percentage so i'm guessing this is probably gonna end up being noise and he didn't have a great profile as some awesome rim protector but given what he can do as a hustle guy if he can be a even solid rim protector i think that's uh something that is gonna really make or break his career i think he can do enough off offensively to be a solid player with his rebounding and intensity running the floor on offense the defense was always kind of the question but the numbers are at least good so we'll keep an eye on that we can move to the cleveland cavaliers they are 10 and 18 on the season one and eight since the last 15 and 60 we thought they would miss larry nance that's been a part of it not the whole thing they're down to dead last in net rating dead last in offense and then they've moved remember they were top 10 in defense now they're 22nd 113 538's projection on them has dropped all the way to 24 wins and 13th in the East, and each of the models gives them less than a 5% chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, they are getting smacked. It, it was also promising early in the season. Then they had uh, the absences from the guards, but they surprisingly kept afloat. They swept a set a- against the Nets at home, looked really good uh, offensively. That was right after the Harden trade, and since then have fallen to 2-11. and 11, And they've had some healthy moments, but the loss of Larry Nance is going to be a major issue. They have a negative 2.4 net rating when he's on the floor, but they are negative 13 with him off and... And he was a a big part of uh, their defense. They've tried playing Jared Allen and Andre Drummond together. That didn't work tonight. I mean, they just got completely drilled by the Clippers who didn't have Kawhi Leonard or or Paul George. Drummond did not play due to rest. Uh, They're really struggling offensively just to, in general they can't make anything at the rim and that's what happens when you employ Andre Drummond who's one of the worst shooting centers at the rim and these two small guards who are really going to struggle they're not taking any threes at all Colin Sexton is just like not shooting any threes at all anymore for some reason he took one tonight even though he had 25 points he was negative 31 again against a Clippers team missing both of their all-stars so it's uh it's starting to get to the point here with the Cavs where it it may be moving back into developmental mode and 
Uh, I'm sure they're looking for a trade for Andre Drummond, but his big salary might make that difficult. Yeah, I, I think it will. And one of the players who will probably get additional attention, not that he's he's playing plenty right now, in that development t- shift, should they make it, is Isaac Okoro. Okoro playing 34 minutes a game in the 22 games he's appeared in for the Cavs. And kind of tying in with something you and I talked about with Okoro as a prospect, you and I both liked some of the connective tissue in the game, but it all depended on whether the shot was falling. And preliminarily, it hasn't been great. 16 of 58 from three, and that is 28%, but also below 50% on twos. And it's it, it, this is far too early to make any big pronouncements, but the there isn't a lot of I'll call it a lot a lot of diversity within his success so far offensively. No, there isn't. Probably what I've been most disappointed by is his finishing uh, where he has not been very effective at all around the basket in the half court only 22 of 51 and they'll run these flex sets for him sometimes where, where he'll get open under the rim but then you know he'll get blocked by like joe harris you know that that was joe harris not a a great rim protector um he just doesn't have a ton of feel for finishing i think part of the problem is he doesn't have a lot of bounce off at two feet he's more of kind of a big in space one foot jumper uh, but when he's challenging shots and also trying to finish around the rim for a little bit more of a standstill that doesn't go so well and then the jump shot you mentioned he's not taking a lot of three-pointers uh the makes aren't clean and the misses are really bad he's kind of drifting to his left a lot of times as he catches and shoots i mean the one nice thing is that he doesn't appear to be passing up shots at least you know some of the shots that he's taking are you know pretty quick release ones he's not getting a lot of wide open ones the Cavs don't have a lot of guys to draw the defense and kick it out to him he definitely would prefer to drive though uh, on these plays uh but that hasn't been uh, particularly effective as a finisher the numbers are much worse with him on the floor defensively again part of that could just be the personnel that they've uh, I, I think it is been playing with well and the personnel um, they're playing against yeah yeah i think that's part of it too i mean when you got the two small guards out there that's uh, that's kind of difficult but he is uh one of the worst in the league in overall and defensive rapm so it's something to monitor there as well i don't really blame him for that however and you wanted to take a look at the numbers again with the uh, guard combos for the Cavs. Yeah, I don't want to dwell too much on this because I actually brought this up in terms of the things that need improving for those who listened to the Dunked on Prime episode last week. Um, Sexton and Garland on the floor, 108 offensive rating. That's fine, but you do think about the limitations of those guys. Like if that offense can't jump up significantly, then you're betting on having a really good defense. Um, They're getting killed in the Garland only minutes, but that's mostly the defense drops off. The negative 21.4 net rating and then they can't get any offense when both Sexton and Garland are off the floor including that disastrous time when they when they were both hurt 99.5 offensive rating in those minutes and because they missed some time that actually includes some starters yeah and now things might get a little bit better for the Cavs defense they are getting rocked from three 39.7 percent from downtown for opponents uh now that hasn't been the reason though that Okoro has bad numbers defensively if the opponents are actually shooting a little bit worse from three of the Okoro out there but still the overall numbers aren't good again not sure how, how much of that is his fault at this point but started off so well for the Cavs but this 2-11 and 11 stretch has really brought it back to reality and you know to be they are now 30th in net rating they have not been competitive in a lot of these games and, and they may be living down there for a while because the Wolves are uh, uh, now up to 29th with Carl Anthony Towns being back 
I think we could move on to the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls are 10 and 15, 3 and 4 since the last 15 and 60. They're at a negative 2 net rating. That's 21st, 14th in offense, 24th in defense, and 538 projects them to win 27 games, which is 12th, but not that far off of the like real playoff picture. Um, Raptor gives them a 10% chance of being the playoffs, but Elo higher at 24%. They've had a couple a couple of successful games recently, including what win is it that I'm thinking of? Um, they killed the Pels. That's what uh, it was. The, with with both uh Kobe White and Zach Levine had eight or more three pointers. So and overall as a team 38% from three, the Chicago Bulls. That's uh that's a surprise. It is. Also, but what, what is not a surprise, them turning the ball over a ton on offense. I think I think we kind of expected that considering who kind of where where things are for them at this moment in time. Yeah, 29th in turnover percentage and generally how you play as a, as opposed to how often shots go in is stickier and establishes earlier so you wouldn't expect that that turnover percentage is going to change as much as them being fifth in e field goal percentage that's really the only aspect of their offense that's been good right now to get them to that 14th in offense they don't really get to the line and they're bad at offensive rebounding so hot shooting is the only thing that's been good for them and that's something that could very easily regress in a way that those other items probably won't as much but i wanted to talk uh, about patrick williams I just wanted to ask you how you're feeling about him overall feeling about him as the fourth overall pick one of the youngest players in the nba this season uh i mean He's, it seems like it's going to take him. There have been some nice flashes on both ends of the four. I mean, even thinking back to the preseason, like there were some times when the ball was in his hands that actually looked a little bit better. But I, it, it looks to me like he's going to, the idea that I had was that he's probably, his feet might not be good enough to be a three, that he might end up being a four, that he's going to be, you know, need to need to be build strength instead. And tentatively, I'm kind of thinking that that's still the direction that's best for him. Yeah, you know, he looks like a big guy out there but he does need to get stronger and you know when he, he has in the last week he had to guard Kawhi Leonard and Zion Williamson which is n- <laughs> not exactly a picnic and you know Otto Porter is, uh, has been out for a lot of the year and Garrett Temple isn't strong enough to deal with those guys and Markinen has been out not that he would be the one you would want on those guys anyway so he, he's kind of toggled between playing the three and the four but he's really been had to guard those guys and I don't think he's embarrassed himself I think he for a rookie he's been decent enough uh you know he's got 16 blocks in the year most of those are strip moves where the guy is going up for the shot and he just gets him down low but it's classified as a shot block as a help defender he hasn't done as much i thought he actually looked better as a help defender in college um you know the strip moves some of them will come uh, on help plays but he's also again being tasked with guarding the top score on the other team a, a lot of the time so that's that's kind of difficult for him but I, I think he's you know his, his feet haven't been unbelievably quick but you know he, he's not the worst in the league at, at that role and as mentioned he's one of the youngest players in the nba one of the things that i would describe his offensive game as a little bit arrhythmic right now that's fair. uh in the sense that you know he's not really record scratching but he's also not really like keeping the music going everyone the 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 music will be going on and then he'll kind of break into a solo maybe at the wrong time and he kind of he'll drive but like he'll do it slowly and then he'll change direction and he's gonna go left most of the time Uh, he's gotten a little bit better about taking the right-handed drive when he's there but when it's not an obvious right-hand drive he's usually gonna go left try to get into a pull-up 
a lot of the time, which is not really the shot that you want out of a spot-up advantage type of situation. He's putting the ball on the floor a lot. He's much more comfortable shooting off the dribble, uh, as the numbers here indicate, at least in terms of the frequency. Uh, he takes more jumpers off the dribble than he does catch and shoots which is for a guy with 16 percent usage that is definitely a surprise yeah it, you don't normally see that and he's actually converted those a reasonable amount of the time he's also just not that comfortable taking the three-pointer off the catch he's kind of got a little bit of a hitch if he has to speed up his release it, it looks ugly he's got to really bend his knees get into it well and a, a and that's more. why i think patrick williams might be the he might be inheriting the torch from justice winslow of the player who people say is a good three-point shooter because his three-point percentage is high but when you look at the attempt frequency which is incredibly important for a team to actually defend you Williams is shooting 39% on threes that's great taking 2.9 per 36 minutes that is extremely limited and he's also shooting 79% from the line so you could say that bodes well and Williams shot 84% from the line in his solo year at Florida State when he came off the bench so we'll kind of have to see where it goes but if you're shooting if you're making 39% of them but you're not taking any threes teams aren't going to receive aren't going to respect it yeah now the good thing is that i would actually like he's kind of been a little jeremy grant like uh but he doesn't have the type of athleticism right that grant has that quick bounce off the ground but just in terms of like the way his offensive game has been this year obviously not nearly as high of a usage but he's done some pick and roll and he's actually a point per possession on jumpers off the dribble out of pick and roll and his finishing he's got a decent left hand he can get okay extension again not like the quickest jumper his second jump is not really that great uh but if he really loads up it can look good uh, as a finisher around the rim he'll try to go to these like cheeky little Shea Gilders Alexander kind of flip shot sometimes like sneaking the ball under the arm of the shot blocker those don't really work but at his age I think if you're going to tell me that he played this well before the start of the season knowing that you know he hadn't started a game like since high school or I think he might have started like a preseason game for Florida State or something uh I think he's acquitted himself pretty well like he there's no aspect of the game where you've been like this guy is just embarrassing himself out there and if you compare him to other guys that his age and experience level as he's kind of he's built as a raw prospect i think you have to feel pretty decent about does he look like he has superstar upside no i wouldn't say that but there are these flashes every once in a while of between the legs dribble moves or a little something out of pick and roll or a a driving kick to the right guy that make you think there could be something there and and again for someone of his age that's all that that you can ask for And, and another thing that's nice too is you know he's shooting it decently enough for most of these areas it's just his shot distribution a lot of mid range jumpers and off the dribble but you know those are going in enough and hopefully he can hone his shot distribution a little bit more and and tighten up Um, his release too i think i think that would make a world of difference for williams yeah yeah that that hitch is a a little bit rough uh, from three but you know they drafted him number four overall i don't know that they drafted him on the same logic of like deandre hunter right he's actually kind of a a, a, i'd say hunter is another guy who's kind of similar physical profile to him as well like not really a quick jumper uh but hunter was 22 uh, when he was drafted he's 21 or 22 and and patrick williams obviously is much younger so i don't think they drafted him to be like oh yeah this guy is gonna be like our three and d combo forward of the future i think they 
viewed him as a ball of clay who's uh, athletic and it could potentially do more someday and the early returns on that are not discouraging at least uh, i would say shall we move on here to the 13 and 15 charlotte hornets four and four since the last 15 and 60 they got smacked by the spurs tonight gordon hayward didn't play Devonte graham uh was experiencing knee soreness he had to leave pj washington also out uh due to covid 19 protocols so we're kind of drawing dead in this one uh, even despite the fact that terry rozier had a, another monster game but negative 1.6 net rating is 19th in the nba 18th uh, on offense that has been rising there in the mid-20s before defense they are 19th i, I expect that to continue to decline it's particularly because it looks like they're going to be starting ball rosier and graham when healthy and now they got malik monk in the rotation we'll talk about him a little bit more in a second and they kind of play small gordon hayward at the four i mean you just they just don't have the personnel to stop any but they do project to uh be the 10th seed that would be good enough for the plans with 30 wins 27 percent chance of the playoffs per raptor elo likes them a little bit better 44 percent so uh malik monk he's back baby yeah and monk I, I i it's been encouraging i you know i wasn't the biggest monk believer but i felt poorly that he missed the big missed the beginning of the season only played in one of charlotte's first 11 games due to covid and didn't get regular minutes until game 18 in late january since then before today monk had played in 10 games averaged 12 points a game 25 minutes a game career high in true shooting 59 percent on a career low in usage down to 19 and also career low in assist percentage and so that's really the shift that's happened for Monk is he's not having to create as much. He's being more of like, can you be a spot-up shooter? And I don't think Monk is going to shoot 47% on threes for the rest of the season, 7.6 per 36. Um, But he's making his catch and shoots, not really making his pull-ups. And it is crazy that he's shooting 59% on true, sh- 59% true shooting when he's only making 40% of his twos and never getting to the line. But if all you do is take threes and make them, it's going to still look okay. Yeah, and it was interesting. Last year, he really improved his two-point shooting was uh got much better finishing at the rim uh, before he had that uh, unfortunate suspension uh, due to violating the league's drug testing policy uh, but this year uh, you know he, he had that reputation had that 47 point game in college uh, as a shooter and this year now as you mentioned the three ball is going down a little bit better for him but he can't hit it too <laughs> it's, and he's and he's right by he's shooting 45 percent at the rim now suddenly uh, again and just for reference the last year he was 67 percent at the rim so we and he was 28 percent from three so if he could just put together the rim shooting from last year and the three-point shooting from this year then you really have something yeah and he's not the focus of this one because we talked a lot about monk but terry rozier over 20 points a game on 63 percent true shooting he's making 45 percent of his threes taking 8.3 per 36 minutes we'll talk about him a lot more in a future episode yeah uh maybe danny will actually admit that he's yeah he could be he could be a third guard for him someday I, I, I will admit that right now. Okay. Uh, now, another thing that's really interesting uh, about their statistical profile is they are running like crazy. They are third in the NBA, get out and transition 17% of the time. So they are getting a ton of running off of steals. They are number one in the NBA. They run 72% of the time that they get a steal. And 
that is 2% higher than the next best team, which is Minnesota, and 5% higher than the third best team in the NBA, which is Houston, in terms of running off of steals. And then they also have been very efficient on those plays, 150 offensive rating off of steals. So you say, all right, well, if they're good at running off of steals, they're probably pretty good at at running off of live rebounds, right? Well, that is the case in terms of the frequency. They run 32% of the time off of live rebounds. That's fifth in in the NBA, pretty good, right? Except they are 30th in scoring off of live rebounds to the point where their offensive rating off of live rebounds in transition is only 106 30th in the nba so basically even when they run they've been so bad that they're not actually adding anything to their offense uh the points plus which is uh cleaning the glasses number that just tells you how much you're adding per game in terms of uh transition they're adding 0.1 points per game to themselves uh, with their running off of live rebounds uh, I would hope that that would get a little bit better. They're probably just shooting it really poorly from three in those circumstances. But that is a fascinating dichotomy that they're so good off of steals and they must just be getting more runouts uh, than anybody else in the NBA. So I I thought that was kind of interesting. And uh, Charlotte, uh, uh, just a a fascinating, fun team. Uh, Looking forward to following them a little bit more. The Brooklyn Nets are 16 and 12 but three and four since the last 15 and 60 kevin durant has basically missed pretty much all that time and now he's going to miss at least the next two games a a back-to-back here on their west coast swing there's hope that he could return against the lakers although we don't know if anthony davis will be around either after tweaking his achilles tonight against denver but that hamstring issue for durant he missed all the year or the week before that due to the code protocols but the nets pretty much just fine plus 4.7 net rating fifth in the nba they are fourth on offense 23rd on defense they project for the third seed in the east with 43 wins uh the 99 chance of the playoffs over the 99 chance of the playoffs per raptor that raptor knows that they have kevin durant james harden and Kyrie irving uh but elo only gives them a 92 percent chance at making the playoffs uh but uh, again the reason i think the nets will be just fine is with some of their good combinations out there they've been dominant well yeah and i mean another way of putting this is brooklyn is number one in the league in half court offense but in points per possession 1.05 or 1.05 which is really really good for half court offense and when you could yeah and that's just to be clear that's just on the initial shot that doesn't even factor in plays where they get the offensive rebound correct and um and that hasn't been like a huge part of their offense but and when you consider that the Nets personnel, you could argue, I mean, we'll see what happens with KD, but their personnel should be even better the rest of the year than it has been so far. That, 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 that it's there. The sky is really the limit in terms of that element of their game. Well, and a lot of people said, all right, how, how good can your offense really be with these, these three guys on the floor? You know, there's only one ball, et cetera. And these guys, those guys can all shoot, but they're, they're also kind of, there's some redundancies and Kyrie and KD uh, like to go ISO a little bit more than some other stars do. Uh, but it seems like Kyrie said this in the media that he and Harden had a conversation that Harden is basically going to be the point guard and Kyrie the shooting guard. That makes perfect sense because James Harden is a much better passer than Kyrie Irving. That's uh, what Harden has really been focusing on. He, he's up to now leading the league in assists. 
and the numbers with all three guys on the floor are pretty nasty at this point plus 13.1 net rating 126 offensive rating now the defense is bad you know 113 with all those guys on the floor the only thing they do well is defensive rebound everything else is below average they force less than zero turnovers they just don't put any kind of pressure on the basketball whatsoever and then the other thing i can point to as well that's really good is with kevin durant on the floor plus 12.3 net rating 124 offensive rating when he's on the floor even this isn't with the big three this is just katie only obviously spend some time with harden and kyrie as well uh but uh, when you look at those numbers and you know katie is going to miss more time again they're going to be putzing along here for a while i'm sure but if they're playing at this level when the stars are available i feel pretty darn good about their chances going into the playoffs yeah and i mean a 113 defensive rating isn't great that's like around the 20th best in the league but 126 offense is completely insane anything else you want to talk about with these guys no i i think that's i mean we'll, i think we'll talk about them plenty in in the weeks to come instead we can talk about the free-falling atlanta hawks the hawks are 11 and 15 on the season but one and six since the last 15 and 60 they're about even in net rating and remember they were one of the higher ranked defenses they were top 10 when we did um when we were pretty recently we were doing something i brought that up 17th in offense and now they're 16th in defense 538 projects them to win 31 games, which is tied with the Knicks for eight. And big difference, Raptor Elo. Raptor gives them about a 50% chance of making the playoffs. Elo, about a one in four. Yeah, and, and Elo doesn't know that they should hopefully be getting Bogdan Bogdanovich back. He's been doing some running in place, but it seems like it's still going to be it might still some be a time while. for him. Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned uh, it, when we talked about Trey Young's award candidacy that they've massively struggled with him off the floor despite all the resources that they threw at that backup point guard position in the offseason one thing i wanted to ask you is is john collins being underutilized at this point i guess they're also struggling because deandre hunter has been has been out too but you know collins 21 percent usage and i i think that if they maybe tried to feature him a little bit more and not tether him to trey young as much of it maybe they could get a little bit more of that bench off although obviously Danilo Gallinari was supposed to help there too and he's having a a rough year as well I know Collins's answer himself would be yes and I think mine would be would be yes as well I I, Collins is a talented player and when Lloyd Pierce is trying to figure out what in the world to do in those minutes I think I think that would be a worth a worthy thing to try and it's not like Trey Young needs John Collins to generate a successful offense it helps I mean Collins I mean we noticed that difference last year for example but they have more offensive personnel so yeah I think that's that's definitely something worth considering and when you consider Collins's offensive gifts and I think I think he could be you know like that you brought up that usage rate I, th- I think he could be getting more shots and I think would help them and, well, yeah and he's been confident as a three-point shooter as well that hasn't really increased this year but yeah I think he could do more so uh, a few things that pop out to me uh, about his physical performance this year you would probably say John Collins is one of the best role men in the NBA well he's only gotten 25 attempts as a role man this season basically one per game part of that is because of course he's playing with Clint Capella uh, part of the time uh, or Bruno Fernando uh, at times as well but only nine out of 20 on rolls to the basket you know this guy we're talking about him as being like the Amari Sotomayor to Trey Young's Steve Nash and that hasn't been the case he's popping just as much as he's rolling uh now when he slips 
to the basket that helps a little bit more and you know it'll be classified as that because trey young will get two on the ball a lot of time and can kind of sneak at threes when it, one of the better guys at that but still not amazing numbers out of the pick and roll but as a post-up guy he's only got about 50 on the season so we're basically talking about like two per game uh he's been very efficient he's always pretty solid as a post-up guy i think that's something that they should try to explore a little bit more here uh he's got 23 out of 43 out of the post uh, so far and i don't know that he has the most varied post game in the world and he likes to go towards the middle most of the time but i I think that's something that they should try to look at and see if they can get him the ball in the post and maybe run some shooters off of screens uh, around him and if that doesn't work then he can go to work a little bit more again posting up is not the most efficient way to score in the world but it's something that could keep him a little bit happier and it's not like they can score on that second unit anyway so you might as well give him a shot at it yeah and this is going to be a a really pivotal stretch i mentioned that they've lost six out of their last seven though a lot of those were to good teams we'll see what happens we'll see where dallas ends up to whether those count as against a good team um and the losing streak coincides with when deandre hunter went out though it is fair to note that he barely played in the washington win right before the rough patch and the schedule gets easier but far from easy they have three games against the celtics in basically a week with a game against denver and cleveland struggling cleveland in in between they also have two games against miami who looks like they're rounding into form so that means a the hawks are going to have to really take care of business against the less dominant teams on there they play the knicks on monday i mentioned that Cavs game they play okc in orlando as well but staying competitive in the other ones and it it, it will be a real challenge and it looks like some of these you know like we we thought that the hawks were going to be able to kind of maybe stay above some of the fray in the east and that that could be possible we'll see we've already seen cleveland fall off we've seen orlando fall off due to injury and so maybe another couple teams join them but it's a harder road yeah, last thing on John Collins here, and last thing for this podcast, uh, Sam Amick uh, did a piece uh, about the trade market and reported that the Hawks really need John Collins and that's part of why he wouldn't be traded necessarily this is uh, their last chance of course he's going to be going into restricted free agency he turned down an extension worth more than 90 million dollars has been reported a couple of places uh, aiming the, the most recent to do so and you know i thought that was a fair deal frankly but now there are few options in free agency and uh, there's a possibility you could get more than that but so much depends on how this hawk season ends but there's this thought that they won't trade him because tony Russell really wants to make the playoffs this year and that that seems like particularly with the injuries that they've had as well and yeah they are in free fall now at one and six since the last 15 and 60 but they're they've been missing a lot of their guys i mean that they they've had maybe like three or four rotation players out at various times like pretty much the entire season camp reddish is having a really rough year he's below 50 percent true shooting he hasn't been able to build on what he did in the last month or so of last season so that they are again low on the wing but they kind of have to play reddish because hunter is out they just need someone to guard people and that that's been a little bit of problems when you got reddish collins and capella out there they don't have enough spacing i mean i don't think they should trade john collins necessarily um just forgetting about this tony wrestler wants to make the playoffs i mean would you be trying to trade him at this point danny i would be listening but i don't think i would be shopping him aggressively i don't know what team is going to bull you over with an offer right now for him though yeah and i just i mean if he's not going to be your second best scorer for this group long term like how are you getting that player 
Right. But, and like, and who, remember, they and, just... I mean, that's kind of... It's like there's not really another option. I mean, unless it's the, the draft, or, you know, they don't have extra picks any, anymore. They're going to be around the middle of the draft. It, it's going to be... I mean, they've had some decent luck drafting, but, it's, uh, you know, I, I think you just kind of hold on to them. And, you know, I mean, now if they lose their next 10 games in a row and they're out of the playoffs by the All-Star break or the trade deadline, then maybe that changes a little bit. But I, I'm... Uh, I, I just don't see what the alternative is. I mean, maybe unless you sure go ahead and listen and see if there there's, but you're kind of like you're trading John Collins to replace him with someone that you think will be better than John Collins, I guess. But they're, uh, I just want to see this team with their whole group together. And, and I mean, we mentioned that they had a pretty solid net rating a couple, you know, a couple games ago with Trey Young on the floor. And so if they can shore up their backups, it's supposed to be one of the deepest teams in the NBA, you know, they could still make a run and, and get back to where they're trying to be. And as we mentioned with Miami, there it's not like anyone in that six, seven, eight range is running and hiding right now. Yeah, it's a great point. All right. Well, a, a great point is uh, what we should end on here at 1242 Pacific time. Thanks so much for listening. And a reminder again that Danny and I will be calling on NBA League Pass Digital tomorrow, Philly and Utah, number one seed versus number one seed. That's going to be, this might be the best game that we'll ever get to call for NBA League Pass. So uh, hopefully you will join us for that. That is at nine Eastern and six Pacific. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.